It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. I have three great James Baldwin stories for you today. All three are stories of courage. The first is called Horatius at the Bridge. The second is called The Brave 300. And the third, Crossing the Rubicon. We hope you enjoy it. And now, Horatio at the Bridge, retold by James Baldwin. The events surrounding the legend of Horatius are said to have taken place at the end of the 6th century B.C., during Rome's struggle against the Etruscans. The English poet and historian Thomas Macaulay retold the story in his Lays of Ancient Rome, from which these verses are taken. Once there was a war between the Roman people and the Etruscans, who lived in the towns on the other side of the Tiber River. Porcina, the king of the Etruscans, raised a great army and marched toward Rome. The city had never been in so great danger. The Romans did not have very many fighting men at that time, and they knew that they were not strong enough to meet the Etruscans in open battle. So they kept themselves inside of their walls and set guards to watch the roads. One morning the army of Porcina was seen coming over the hills from the north. There were thousands of horsemen and footmen, and they were marching straight toward the wooden bridge which spanned the river at Rome. "'What shall we do?' said the white-haired fathers who made the laws for the Roman people. "'If they gain the bridge, we cannot hinder them from crossing, and then what hope will there be for the town?' Now among the guards at the bridge there was a brave man named Horatius. He was on the farther side of the river, and when he saw that the Etruscans were so near, he called out to the Romans who were behind him. The verses go like this. Then out spake brave Horatius, the captain of the gate, To every man upon this earth death cometh soon or late. And how can man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temple of his gods? Hew down the bridge with all the speed that you can, he cried. I, with the two men who stand by me, will keep the foe at bay. Then, with their shields before them, and their long spears in their hands, 
the three brave men stood in the road and kept back the horsemen whom Portia had sent to take the bridge. On the bridge, the Romans hewed away at the beams and posts. Their axes rang, the chips flew fast, and soon it trembled and was ready to fall. "'Come back! Come back! Save your lives!' they cried to Horatius and the two who were with him. But just then, Porson and his horsemen dashed toward them again. "'Run for your lives!' said Horatius to his friends. "'I will keep the road!' They turned and ran back across the bridge. They had hardly reached the other side when there was a crashing of beams and timbers. The bridge toppled over to one side and then fell with a great splash into the water. When Horatius heard the sound, he knew that the city was safe. With his face still toward Portia and his men, he moved slowly backward till he stood on the river's bank. A dart thrown by one of Porson's soldiers put out his left eye, but he did not falter. He cast his spear at the foremost horseman, and then he turned quickly around. He saw the white porch of his own home among the trees on the other side of the stream. And the verses continue. And he spake to the noble river that rolls by the walls of Rome. O Tiber, Father Tiber, to whom the Romans pray, a Roman's life, a Roman's arms, take thou in charge today. He leaped into the deep, swift stream. He still had his heavy armor on, and when he sank out of sight, no one thought that he'd ever be seen again. But he was a strong man, and the best swimmer in Rome. The next minute he rose. He was halfway across the river, and safe from the spears and darts which Porson and his soldiers hurled after him. Soon he reached the farther side, where his friends stood ready to help him. Shout after shout greeted him as he climbed upon the bank. Then Porson and his men shouted also, for they'd never seen a man so brave and strong as Horatius. He had kept them out of Rome, but he had done a deed which they could not help but praise. As for the Romans, they called him Horatius Cuclus, which meant the one-eyed Horatius, because he had lost an eye in defending the bridge. They created a fine statue of brass to be made in his honor, and they gave him as much land as he could plow around in a day. The final verses read, With weeping and with laughter, still was the story told, how well Horatius kept the bridge in the brave days of old. We'll return with our second story, The Brave 300, adapted from James Baldwin, right after these sponsor messages. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And now the Brave 300, adapted from James Baldwin. The famous battle at the narrow pass of Thermopylae took place in 480 B.C. when Xerxes led a Persian army into Greece. Even though they were defeated at Thermopylae, the Spartans' heroic stand against overwhelming odds inspired the Greeks in later resistance and forever made Sparta's name synonymous with courage. At that time, all of Greece was in danger. A mighty army led by Xerxes, 
the great king of Persia, had come from the east. It was marching along the seashore, and in a few days would be in Greece. Xerxes had sent messengers into every city and state, demanding that they send him water and earth as symbols that the land and sea were his. The Greeks refused, and resolved to defend their freedom against the invaders. And so there was a great stir throughout all the land. The Greeks armed themselves, and hurried to go out and drive back their foe. There was only one way by which the Persian army could go into Greece on that side, and that was through a narrow pass between the mountains and the sea. It was called the Pass at Thermopylae, a word which meant hot gates because of the hot springs nearby. This pass was guarded by Leonidas, the king of the Spartans, with only a few thousand troops. They were greatly outnumbered by the Persian army, but they felt confident. They had positioned themselves in the narrowest part of the pass, where a few men armed with long spears could hold back an entire company. The first Persian wave of attack started toward the pass at dawn. The Spartan scouts reported that there were so many troops, their arrows would darken the sun like a cloud. "'So much the better,' Leonidas said. "'We can fight better in the shade.' The arrows came down, but the Greeks' shields deflected them, and their long spears held back the Persians who pressed into the pass. The invaders attacked again and again, but each time they were repulsed with terrible losses. At last Xerxes sent forward his best troops, known as the Ten Thousand Immortals, but even they fared no better against the determined Greeks. After two days of attacks, Leonidas still held the pass, but that night a man was brought to Xerxes' camp. He was a Greek who knew the local terrain well, and he was ready to sell a secret. The pass was not the only way through. A hunter's footpath wound a long way around to a trail along the spine of the mountain. It was held only by a handful of Greeks. They could be easily routed, and then Xerxes could attack the Spartan army from the rear. The treacherous plan worked. The men guarding the secret trail were surprised and beaten. A few managed to escape in time to warn Leonidas. The Greeks knew that if they did not abandon the pass at once, they would be trapped. But Leonidas also knew that he must delay Xerxes longer while the Greek cities prepared their defenses. He made his decision. He ordered almost all his troops to slip through the mountains and back to their cities, where they would be needed. He kept his royal guard of 300 Spartans as well as a few other troops and prepared to defend the pass to the last man. Xerxes and his army came forward. The Spartans stood fast, but one by one they fell. When their spears broke, they stood side by side, fighting with swords or daggers, or only their fists. All day long they kept the Persian army at bay. But when the sun went down, there was not one Spartan left alive. Where they had stood was only a heap of the slain, all bristled over with spears and arrows. Xerxes had taken the pass, but at a cost of thousands of men and a delay of several days. That time cost him dearly. The Greek navy was able to gather its forces, and soon afterward it managed to drive Xerxes back to Asia. Many years later, a monument was erected at the Pass of Thermopylae, inscribed in memory of the courageous stand of a few in defense of just a few in defense of their homeland.
The words on that monument read, Pause, traveler, ere you go your way. Then tell how, Spartan to the last, we fought and fell. And here's one more story, a bonus story, again from James Baldwin, called Crossing the Rubicon. Hope you enjoy it. In Roman days, the Rubicon, a stream in north-central Italy, marked the boundary between Italy and Gaul. By law, Roman magistrates could bring armies into Italy only by permission of the Senate. By marching his legions across the Rubicon in 49 B.C., Julius Caesar committed himself to a showdown with Rome itself. Rome was the most powerful city in the world. The Romans had conquered all the countries on the north side of the Mediterranean Sea, and most of those on the south side. They also occupied the islands of the sea and all that part of Asia that now belongs to Turkey. Julius Caesar had become the hero of Rome. He had led a large army into Gaul, that part of Europe which today includes France, Belgium, and Switzerland, and turned it into a Roman province. He had crossed the Rhine and subdued a part of Germany. Caesar's army even went into Britain, a wild and remote country to the Romans, and established colonies there. For nine years, Caesar and his army had served Rome loyally and well. But Caesar had many enemies at home, people who feared his ambitions and envied his accomplishments, people who cringed every time they heard Caesar called a great hero. One of these persons was Pompey, who had long been the most powerful man in Rome. Like Caesar, he was the commander of a great army, but his troops had done very little to win the applause of the people. Pompey saw that, unless something occurred to prevent it, Caesar would in time be his master. He therefore began to lay plans to destroy him. In another year, the time of Caesar's service in Gaul would end. It was understood that he would then return home and be elected consul, or ruler, of the mighty Roman Republic. He would then be the most powerful man in the world. Pompey and other enemies of Caesar were determined to prevent this. They induced the Roman Senate to send a command to Caesar to leave his army in Gaul and come at once to Rome. If you do not obey this command, said the Senate, you shall be considered an enemy to the Republic. Caesar knew what that meant. If he went to Rome alone, his enemies would make false accusations against him. They would try him for treason and keep him from being elected consul. He called the soldiers of his favorite legion together and told them about the plot that had been made for his ruin. The veterans who had followed him through so many perils and had helped him win so many victories declared they would not leave him. They would go with him to Rome and see that he received his due rewards. They would serve without pay and even share the expenses of the long march. The troops started toward Italy with flags flying. The soldiers were even more enthusiastic than Caesar himself. They climbed mountains, waded rivers, endured fatigue, faced all kinds of dangers for the sake of their leader. At last they came to a little river called the Rubicon. It was the boundary line of Caesar's province of Gaul. On the other side lay Italy. Caesar paused a moment on the bank. He knew that to cross that stream would be to declare war against Pompey and the Roman Senate. It might involve all Rome in a fearful strife, the end of which no man could foresee. 
We could still go back, he told himself. Behind us lies safety. But once we cross the Rubicon into Italy, turning around is impossible. I must make the choice here. He did not hesitate long. He gave the word and rolled boldly across the shallow stream. We have now crossed the Rubicon, he cried as he reached the far shore, and there is no turning back. The news was shouted along the roads and byways leading to Rome. Caesar had crossed the Rubicon. People from every town and village turned out to welcome the returning hero as he marched through the countryside. The closer he drew to Rome, the wilder people celebrated his arrival. Finally, Caesar and his army reached the gates of the city. No troops came out to challenge them, and there was no resistance when Caesar marched into the city itself. Pompey and his allies had fled. For more than 2,000 years, men and women facing daring decisions have thought of Caesar at the edge of that stream before they, too, crossed their own Rubicons. Thanks for joining us today for these three James Baldwin stories. If you enjoy our stories here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, please do take a moment, especially you Apple listeners, and send us a review. Reviews are greatly appreciated. And when you share our show with others, that's also appreciated. We now release episodes twice a week on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and on Sundays at noon. Now, it used to be 5 p.m. Eastern, but now it's noontime Eastern, and we do that to give our weekend listeners a little bit more of the weekend to enjoy our shows. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.